And it came to pass after this that Benadad, king of Syria, gathered all his hosts and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria. And behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. So what's going on here is the city has been besieged. And there was already a famine going on, but that's what they would do in the old days. They would, when they would besiege a city, the main capital, it would, the city, of course, would have a wall around it. And they had gates. And what they would do is they would, instead of just throwing thousands and thousands of men at the city and killing a lot, you know, losing a lot of their men, what they'd do is they'd surround the city and they wouldn't let anybody come in or come out. And they'd just starve them to death. And this wait for that, the people in the city to starve to death and run out of food. And it might take months at a time. But eventually, whenever they got tired of it, sometimes they would take the literal king and they would just throw him off, on, uh, off, off the wall, off, into the, off the wall to kill him and say, Hey, we're done. We're done with this king. Come here and take over. We want to let you take over. We, we don't want to fight anymore. Or, or even if the guys were, re were ready to come out and fight, they're so starved to death. That they don't have the energy to fight. They just give up the will to fight. And that's what this guy's doing. Benadad, is, he's surrounded the city and it said it's got so bad that an ass's head was sold for four score pieces of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung. They were eating an ass's head and dove's dung. Can you imagine it? Oh, man. I've, had a, I've eaten some bad stuff at some Mexican restaurants, but I hope none of that got in there. But, uh, but they tell me some of that stuff's in there. But it scares me to think that that's how bad off they were. In verse 26, And as the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord do not help thee, when shall I help thee? Out of the barn floor, out of the wine press? So the king is riding along the top of the wall, and she recognizes the king. She's like, King, help me, help me. He said, how am I going to help you? If God's not willing to help us right now, where am I going to get food for you? I can't bring it out of a wine press, or where am I going to get food for you? Look at verse 28. This is what she wanted help with. And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, This woman said unto me, Give thy son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, Give thy son that we may eat him, and she hath hid her son. Unbelievable. And it came to pass when the king heard the words of the woman, that he rent his clothes, and he passed by upon the wall, and the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth within upon his flesh. I want to preach this morning about choices. Choices we make in life, and this woman here, she made an awful choice. She made the awful choice that she was going to sacrifice somebody else to save her own life. And it, she made such an awful choice. She made the choice to sacrifice her own son so she might, keep, she might keep living. And the choice she made was, So we boiled up my son and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, Give thy son that we may eat him. And she hath hid her son. So she made an agreement with somebody else in the city and said, Okay, we'll, we'll eat my son today. And tomorrow we'll eat your son. And she took her own literal son and boiled him up. And they were eating her son. They were so starving to death. They were eating her son. She made the awful choice to sacrifice her own son. And then, of course, this lady, she got cold feet, of course. Or maybe she knew all along she wasn't going to do it. And she went and she hid her son off and went and hid out. Guys, that's an awful choice. And that's what I want to preach on this morning about people making awful choices in their life. 
Do you know what? Uh, you'd think about this and you'd think, man, that's an awful thing to happen. You know, God prophesied this 500 years before it took place that this is what was going to happen. If they, if they were not follow his commandments and his laws, he said the most tender-eyed woman among you is gonna, would be willing to eat her own child. It's, it, it's a crazy thought that people make those kind of things. But people do this stuff daily in America today. They sacrifice those people around them so they can keep living. They make awful choices. What is a Christian supposed to do? What kind of choices is a Christian supposed to make in situations like this? A Christian is supposed to sacrifice themselves. Amen. Amen. A Christian is supposed to sacrifice themselves. In Romans chapter 12, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's our reasonable service to sacrifice ourselves for other people. A Christian's attitude should be, I'm not going to give up anything. I'm not going to give up those around me to sacrifice for, for, for me, for them to sacrifice for me. I want to sacrifice myself so they'll have things so they can live on. That's a Christian attitude. And so many people in the world, they have this woman's attitude. They make these awful choices in life to do these kind of things. You know, the Salvation Army, uh, there, was a, there was a ship called the Empress of Ireland, and it had over... 130 Salvation Army officers on it, and it was a ship going across the ocean, and it started sinking, and only 100, and 109 of those officers drowned, and they said, I'm going to read this to you, and not one body they picked up out of the water had a life belt on it. They found all these drowned Salvation Army, and they, none of them had a life belt. And they said the few survivors told how the Salvation Army people Finding that there were not enough life preservers for everybody to go around, they took the life preservers off themselves and they gave it to even strong, strong men and gave it to them. You know what they would say to these men? They took the life preservers off and they gave it to them. And they said, I can die better than you. I can die better than you. And they, would, they took off the life preservers and gave it to strong men so they could live because I can die better than you. Amen. Amen. We can die better than the world because we know where we go when we pay off. Amen. We can die better. We can die better. We can lay in the bed. We can lay in the bed on our on our deathbed. We can lay in the bed on our sickness. We can lay in the bed wherever we're at, and we can die better than anybody else in the world because we have Jesus Christ. Amen. We can die, and that's what the Salvation Army was saying. Hey, we can die better than you. I can sacrifice my life better than you. My whole life is a life of sacrifice. The strongest, most powerful testimony I've ever seen in my life was, was when uh, uh, Brother Trevor passed away, that young man. And I seen him on his deathbed, and I thought, man, what courage. He's dying better than I would die. He's dying better than most grown men. He was powerful in the choices he made. He can die better than us. You say, this wouldn't happen today. There's no way that some lady would take her child and sacrifice her child to keep living today, especially boil him up. There's no way this happened today. This happens every day. This happens, I bet literally this happens a thousand times a day in America through abortion. Through abortion, where some young woman says, so I can keep living the life I want to live, I'm going to sacrifice this young baby that's living in me. We forget about this. See, we think of it, oh, that's so awful that they bulled up that child and they ate it. But they were starving. Some people are killing little babies just for convenience. 
have nothing to do with starving to death or about the, you know when you're starving you you get to the point where your mind's not working right amen your mind's you know you, you start seeing things they were <clears throat> we had the guy that was on that A&E Discovery or A&E or Discovery Channel show called uh, Darkness I think it was called Darkness where they put him in a cave for days and days and days he had no light and he had to find his way through a cave by himself and <clears throat> he came up there to the city of Brownwood what was that guy's name you remember his name Matt uh, but he came up there and he was giving testimonies and he was seeing like Porky Pig and <laughs> he was seeing all these weird things in the darkness and he was starving to death and he was, he was in a dark, he was talking about how his mind was doing creepy things to him. You can, you can excuse this woman starving to death, doing something like this, doing something that's way out of character for her, for her to do because her mind's not in the right place. But what excuse do we have for people today that sacrifice babies in their womb just for a convenience. It's a, God's going to judge this country for that. Amen. God's going to judge this country for the choices we make like that. Verse 30. And it came to pass when the king heard the words of the woman that he rent his clothes and he passed by upon the wall and the people looked and behold, he had sackcloth within upon his flesh. Now what that is is what they would do is a, is, is a pious way. They'd put the sackcloth on and, they'd, and it'd make you really itchy and it's real scratchy and itchy. And, they, and, and what they'd do is they'd put that on as a sign of repentance to God. They wanted to beat their flesh down. So the king had that on and he was, when he was on the wall on his horse, everybody could see that he had that sackcloth on. This king is making a religious choice. This king is making a religious choice, and that religious choice is he's showing an outward sign of repentance. He's showing this outward sign of, of, of holiness, but on the inside, his heart is not right with God. Look at the very next verse, if you don't believe me. Then he said, verse 31, the king said, God do so to, and more also to me if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, shall stand on him this day. See, he's blaming, he's blaming God's man for what's happening to him and in his city and in his people. He's blaming God's man. He's blaming God. And he has this sackcloth on like he's very, very self-righteous. And that he's holy. And he's doing all these things right with God. But he's not on the inside. Jesus Christ called the people out for this. He said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres. That's tombs which indeed appear beautiful on, out, on the outward, but were within full of dead man's bones and of all uncleanliness. That's what he was accusing the Pharisees of being like. He said, you're like a tomb. You go by and you have these tombs that look so pretty on the outside, but on the inside they're full of dead man's bones. That's what the king's like. The king's like, he's got this outward appearance of being holy and righteous and living right with God, but on the inside he's full of dead man's bones. Are you living like that this morning? Are you living, are you coming to church and you come to church and you make a good show and you sit in the pews and you sing the songs and you got your Bible and you, you make an appearance that you're very holy, you make an appearance that you're right with God, but on the inside, you're not right with God? You're making those, you're making those religious choices, but his heart was far away. His heart was real far away from God. Look at verse 32. But Elisha, sat in his house, and the elders sat with him. And the king sent a man, a man from before him. But ere the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, See, how, see ye how the son of a murderer has sent to take away mine head? Look when the messenger cometh, shut the door, and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? 
So Elijah and the elders, they had got together, and they were in this house, and evidently, I don't know if they were praying or what they were doing in this house. Well, the king says, go find Elisha. I'm going to take his head off. And so he's, he sends a messenger. And when he sends a messenger, Elisha, before the messenger even shows up, Elisha says, hey, the king, the son of a murderer, which was Ahab's son, he's about to come in here. He's about to send a messenger. When that messenger comes in here, I want you to close the door and don't let him in here. Don't let the king in here because the king's coming in right behind him. Verse 33, and while he yet talked with them, that's Elisha telling them everything's about to happen, behold, the messenger came down unto him. And he said, and this is what the messenger said, behold, this evil's of the Lord. What should I wait for the Lord any longer? Well, he's got a truth in there. But he's got a truth and he's got a wrong in there. First off, he says there to Elisha, he says, this evil is of the Lord. Well, is that evil of the Lord? Yeah, it is. <laughs> he's right about that. The evil, the evil is of the Lord. The Lord is the one doing this kind of stuff. It all goes back to the, it's in the Lord's hands, guys. Amen. Amen. It's in the Lord's hands. Job said in Job chapter 2, verse 10, do we not receive evil and good from the Lord? Yes, we do. <laughs> it's, the ultimate power is the Lord God. Amen. The ultimate power is the Lord God. Behold, this evil is of the Lord, but then he makes a mistake. What? What, should I wait for the Lord any longer? He says, hey, this evil's of the Lord, but why am I waiting around for the Lord? Am I, I'm not going to wait for the Lord any longer. That's, that's, you're, you're, that's a contradiction. That's an oxymoron. You're saying all of this is because of the Lord, but I'm not going to wait on Him anymore. If you tell the truth that all of this is of the Lord, that means you better get right with the Lord. You better go to the Lord. What this messenger doesn't realize is when God makes a choice... That means you're out of choices. When God makes a choice, you have no choice. When God makes a choice to do something, you're out of choices. Amen. What that means is, is that when a, high, when a higher power makes a decision over your life, what do you have to do to change that choice that that higher power makes? You've got to go to the higher power and ask for mercy. If it, be a, if it be a policeman, if it be a judge, if it be a higher court, whatever it is, when that higher court or when that judge makes a decision over your life, you've got to throw yourself at the mercy of that higher, higher power and say, will you give me mercy? Will you show me mercy? Will you give me grace? So when God makes a decision in your life that's not very wayno for you, and it's not, you're going, this isn't a very good decision, Lord. I don't understand what's going on. Well, you don't go to the devil. Amen? You don't go to Satan. Who's higher than, who's higher than Satan? Well, the, well, God the Almighty is. You don't go to your preacher. There, there's somebody higher than me. You go to God Almighty. You go to the Lord. You go to your Father. And you say, Lord, I don't like this decision that's going on in my life. I don't like this choice that you've made for my life. Lord, can we do something about it? And maybe he'll change his mind. He might do something different. Then maybe he won't. That's the... <laughs> That's the problem with the Lord. He does what he wants to do. Amen. You, you, the, this evil is of the Lord. That's God, the Lord God. That means he's all-powerful. That means he's a creator. That means he can do whatever he wants to do, and you can't do nothing about it. Amen. And that's what's so scary. That's why you should have a healthy fear of the Lord. If he wants to, he could stop my heart right now. Amen. He could stop your heart right now. And, and you have no choice in the matter. See, the world, they live thinking they have all these choices. And they do have choices. But when God decides to make a choice in their life, their choices are over. 
And they're not, they, don't, they don't realize that, see. They're thinking, well, I just saying, well, I don't. God says, no, I've got a choice for you, and here it is right here. And he sends it on you, and before I know, you're starving to death. You're living there. You're, what's going on? You're seeing people around you making all these awful choices. You're seeing these religious hypocrites walking around thinking they're all high and mighty. This evil's of the Lord. What should I wait for the Lord any longer? Well, because you don't have no choice but to wait. This messenger doesn't realize when God makes a choice, you have no choice. You need to appeal to God. You got to appeal to God. He's the higher power. He's the one, that's who you go to appeal to. Verse, chapter 7, verse 1. We're talking about choices. Then Elisha said, Hear ye that the word of the Lord. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. <laughs> so Elisha's there. And when Elisha's there, this, all this bad stuff's happening all around. People are boiling up their children. It's horrible things happening. They go, the messenger comes in and says, Hey, uh, the Lord's doing this. We don't want to wait on the Lord anymore. And the king's saying, Cut off Elisha's head. Elisha says, You know what? Tomorrow you're going to be able to buy a loaf of bread for a penny. They were getting a dungs. They were getting a little cab. A cab is just like a vessel. Like a quarter of that would, would cost for a little, some, dugs, some dove's dung. He said, Well, you're going to buy a big old piece of loaf of bread for a penny tomorrow. That sounds impossible, doesn't it? Amen, it sounds impossible. Well, there's a guy standing there in verse 2, and look what he says. Then a Lord, a Lord on whose hand the king leaned, answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? So this Lord, he makes the choice to doubt God's word. He makes the choice to doubt God's word. He says, how can this thing be? If God was even to make a window in heaven, and God can do it. <laughs> God can make, he made windows before. Man, was not, was not Stephen, when he was being stoned, did he not look up into heaven and see Jesus Christ standing on the right hand of God? And say, I see Jesus Christ standing on the right hand of God. Did we not study in Revelation where John says, I looked up and behold, there was a door in heaven. And we got, I got called up and the door said, come up hither. And well, here we went. God can make a window. But he's doubting it. He's doubting it. He says, uh, behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, behold, Elisha says, behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not eat thereof. Elisha curses him. Elisha says, you know what? For your doubt, I'm going to curse you. So, he, so this Lord of this king, he leans on this king's hand. He makes a doubter's choice. He chose not to believe God's word. When God says something, something, even when it makes no sense, it happens 100% of the time. When God, says so, when, God says, when God says something and it makes no sense, and a lot of this book doesn't make any sense. I study this book. It's my job to study this book. And I read this book and I study this book and sometimes I'm studying it. And I literally pray, Lord, this makes no sense. I don't understand this at all. And sometimes the Lord will reveal something to me, but 99% of the time the Lord says, well, you're just stupid. You know, <laughs> I mean, I don't get it. I mean, I just, and I just turn the page and keep on reading it. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. I believe every word of it. But to this idiot right here, right here, it don't make a lot of sense. Now, there's men a lot smarter than me. They can read it and go, oh, that makes complete sense. And I'm like, it don't make any sense. 
It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And then all of a sudden, boink, a light comes on. Oh, now it makes sense. But if you ever have a chance to doubt God's word or to believe God's word, always believe God's word. Because what I found out from studying this Bible, even though it does, a lot of it doesn't make sense, in the end it comes, it comes through 100%. It does every time. But, and you, we're talking about choices this morning, and we saw that the, the woman made an awful choice. We saw that the king made this religious, hypocritical choice, and we're seeing that the messenger, he didn't really know that he had no choice, and we're seeing that this, this, this lord of the king, he's making a choice to doubt God's words. Listen, you, if, you want to believe, if you believe God's word, believing God's word is always the right choice. <laughs> That's always the right choice. If I say something against God's word and you got the Bible in there, always take God's word over my word. Amen. Always. Always take God's word over the preacher's word. Always. Always, always. Look at verse 3. This is one I want to focus on a little more this morning before we go. And there were four lepers, excuse me, four leprous men at the entering end of the gate. And they said one to another, why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. <laughs> so these four lepers are sitting around at the gate, and they're going, they, they basically, this one of them says, you know what? If we go inside this gate, we're going to starve to death. We're going to die. If we sit here... We're going to die anyway. Why don't we just get up? The Syrians are right out there. Let's just go up there to them. Maybe they'll, they'll take us alive. They'll capture us. They'll give us some food. Maybe they'll leave us alone. Maybe we, but at least we can live. But what's, what's the worst thing that can happen to us? We could die. We're going to die anyway. What's the worst thing that can happen? That's the point I'm trying to preach to you this morning. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior... What have you got to lose? Amen. I mean, really, what have you got to lose? Are you sick and tired of seeing people make awful choices in your life? If you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, and you're listening to me, or you're in here this morning, and you hadn't made that decision, are you sick and tired of just looking around and seeing people all around you making awful choices in their life where they pick, to, they pick themselves over everybody else and they throw people under the bus. Maybe you're sick and tired of seeing all the religious hypocrites in your life living this religious hypocritical life where they try to look holy and self-righteous and you know that they're nothing but sinners but they won't admit it. Like the king. Or maybe you're, like this, you're seeing people like this messenger. You're sick and tired of these people like this messenger who doubt everything that God says. And in your heart, you know, listen, there's something about this Bible that's making sense to me. I think that's what happens with a lot of lost people in the world. I think in their heart and in their mind, there's this little prick. And it's pricking their conscience. Remember when Paul was being very zealous for what he thought he was being doing really good for God, and he was going and he was taking Christians, he was persecuting them, he was killing some of them, and he was on the road to Damascus, and all of a sudden Jesus Christ struck old Saul down. His name wasn't Paul yet, but he struck old Saul down. And what is the first thing Jesus Christ said to him? Saul, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. The pricks, what's he talking about? He's talking about like a little goat and you're pricking something, and you're trying to prick it to make it go. It's a prick of your conscience. 
And the Holy Spirit has been working. If you're a lost man or woman, and the Holy Spirit's been pricking on your conscience saying, you need to go here. You need to go here. But you have people all around you like the messenger and that Lord of the King. They're saying, oh, I don't believe in any of that. So, well, if, if, well, God make a heaven out of, you know, make a wind out of heaven and make food come down. I don't, there's no way any of this stuff works. But in the back of your mind, there's a little prick there that's just pricking your conscience. I got a question for you this morning. What have you got to lose to come to Jesus Christ? You're sitting around dying anyway. You're sitting around like a leopard at the gate. Nobody cares about you. Nothing's going right. You say, I don't have the peace. I don't have the joy. What have you got to lose just to get up, rise up, and say, I think I'll give this Jesus Christ a try. Amen. What have you got to lose? Listen, it's not, uh, it's not like I'm trying to t tell you to sell everything you own. It's like, not like I'm trying to tell you to climb up on some kind of high mountain or anything like that. I'm just asking you to just get up and simply come and give Jesus Christ a try. What have you got to lose? What have you got to lose? There's nothing to lose, amen. There, I mean, you're going you're gonna to die anyway. I'm not telling you to rise up and go to a religion. I'm not telling you to rise up and become a Baptist. I'm not telling you to rise up and get baptized. I'm not telling you to rise up and adopt a certain philosophy or a 12-step program. I'm telling you just rise up and come to Jesus Christ. The man, Jesus Christ. I'm not telling you to rise up and come to me. I'm telling you just rise up. What do you got to lose? And come to Jesus Christ. These four lepers, they came to that decision. They made that choice. <laughs> they were just sitting around and they realized one day, what am I doing? I'm going to die here. If I go in there, I'm going to die. They don't have nothing for me. Sitting here don't have nothing for me. But wait, maybe out there I could go give that a try. I've talked to a young man about this. I've said, you've tried everything you've tried in your life. Why don't you just give Jesus Christ a try? Give it a try. Give it a shot. I can talk all day long about how good this water tastes, but until you get a taste of it, you're never going to know. That's the same way with Jesus Christ. I can talk about how wonderful Jesus Christ is. I can preach about him. I can cry over him. I can, you can see the joy in my face. But until you come and try Jesus Christ, you're never going to know why we love Jesus Christ so much. Why don't you give him a try? What do you got to lose? That's my point. That's the choice I'm trying to tell you to make. What have you got to lose? Listen, if you sit there and do nothing, nobody's ever going to pity you. No, nobody has pity for somebody who does nothing for themselves. We've got a world full of people that do nothing for themselves. They expect everybody to give them a handout. They think everybody owes them something. Nobody pities people like that. Nobody. But if you rise up and you say, I'm, I'm in a situation in my life, I need some mercy. I need some grace. I need some joy. I need some peace. And you rise up and you say, I want to go searching for some mercy and some joy and some peace. Everybody in the world will have sympathy for you. Because everybody can sympathize with somebody who's searching diligently for peace and joy and grace in their life. Everybody would have sympathy for that kind of person. But if you're going to sit there and not do anything, I have no pity for you. But if you'll get up and you'll rise up and you'll go to Jesus Christ, my friend, I promise you, you will find mercy. Amen. You will find that joy. You will find that peace. You know what the greatest verse in the Bible is? People have all these. There's a lot of great verses is when Jesus Christ says, Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Amen. 
One of the greatest books ever written outside of the Bible is called Pilgrim's Progress. It's written by a guy by the name of John Bunyan. He wrote this book. And it's written, it was written right about the time this Bible right here was translated. Right after that, it's called Pilgrim's Progress. It's the second greatest selling book outside of the Bible ever written. And John Bunyan, he said, when I read him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. John Bunyan said, I knew that I could come to Jesus Christ and not have anything to worry about. I'm not asking you to rise up and go to Syrians that might kill you. I'm not asking you to rise up and go to a God that's going to judge you and persecute you. I'm asking you to rise up and go to a God that's got Jesus Christ waiting there to embrace you. My favorite part about the prodigal son story is when he comes to his senses, and the Bible says he got in his right mind, and the prodigal son says, I'm going to go back to my father's house. And I can become a servant. I'm not, worthy, I'm not worthy to be a son. I just want to be a servant. I know my father's got bread. I'm over here eating the pig's food. I can go and be a servant in my father. And he just rises up and decides to go. And when he starts going, that's my favorite part of that story. Because you know what the Bible says about the father? The father was looking for him. And he was looking down the road and he saw his son. And the Bible says... The Bible doesn't say that the father stood back and was judgmental and had his hands crossed and said, I told you so, you shouldn't have left. <laughs> the Bible says the father took off running and grabbed his son oh, and kissed him and said, kill the fatted calf, put a robe on this my son, put a ring on this pun, put new shoes on him. This my son that's lost is now found. And he hugged and kissed him. That's the Jesus Christ I'm talking about. What, what do you have to lose? What do you have to lose? It's, see, the, 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 honesty, the honest truth about this is that the choice is up to you. We're talking about choices. This young boy came to this older man, and he had a bird in his hand. And he told that little, little boy tried to, was going to trick that old man. He said, the bird, I have a bird in my hand. Is the bird alive or is it dead? And that boy had this... This mischievous grin on his face, and the old man knew what he was up to. The old man says, if I, tell, if I say that that bird's alive, that little boy will crush that bird and kill it. And then open his hand and say, see, he's dead, you're wrong. But if I say that bird's dead, then he'll open up his hands, that bird will fly off, and he'll say, see, you were wrong, he was alive. And that old man knew that, bird, that boy was trying to trick him, and the old man simply said, the power is in your hand. The choice is in your will. That's the truth of you. See, the truth is, is the power's in y'all's hands. The power's in your choices. The power's in your hand. See, we think, we try to blame the world. The world's doing this and the world's doing that. Listen, the, the power and the choice is all right there in your hands. The choice is either sit there at the gate and die like a leper in your sin or to rise up and come to Jesus Christ. The choice is, it's all your choice. Nobody's going to come and take you and make you go to Jesus Christ. You can sit there like the prodigal son. You can sit there in the pig slop and feed the pigs the rest of your life and die like that. Or you can rise up like the prodigal son said and said, I'm in my right mind. I'm going to go back to my father. The choice, is all, the choice is all yours, see? The choice is always in your hands. Two twins. Two, two twins are born. They're raised by the same parents, raised in the same house, raised under the same upbringing. One becomes a family, a good family man, and it has a good job, and is a good friend. The other second tw twin, he becomes a drunkard and is jobless. 
So you look at these two lives and say, what was the problem? They had the same, same dad, same mom, same upbringing, same situation. The simple difference was choices. Choices. We don't like that. We like to say, well, it's because of something that happened to me years ago is the reason why I act this way. It's something that, you know, the reason why I do, the reason why I cuss, or the reason why I do this is because I heard other people cussing. Or No, no, see, the simple truth is it's all about choices in your heart you're making. You're making either the right choices or the wrong choices. You can't blame anybody else. God gave us the greatest gift he ever gave anybody, and that's the gift of free will. You have a free will to either kill that bird or let that bird go. You have the free will to either kill your soul or let that soul go to go to be with Jesus Christ. It's your choice. It's all about choices. Let's finish this up. In verse 5, they rose up in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of the Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. So the Syrians, they were hearing all this stuff that God had made these noises. And they're like, oh, there's this, the, the Egyptians are coming and Samaria has hired us. So they just flee and they leave their horses and their food. They leave everything. So verse 8. In verse 8. And when the, the, these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went in and hid it. <laughs> so they come in there and they're walking up there and they see this, it's kind of empty around here and they say, hey, 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 Joe, come on, let's go here to this tent. And they go in there and there's all this food and they start eating it and they get all the silver and they put the silver and they carry it off and hide it and they come back to another tent and they're hoarding this stuff, see. Hey, Amen, they're, they're, they're having a good time. And that's what happens when you come to Jesus Christ. You'll never know you had it so good. <laughs> you'll, never, you'll never know you had it so good when you first come to Jesus Christ. That's what the problem with the, some of us in here is. We've been around the goodness and holiness of Jesus Christ for so many years, we forget just how good it is. We've forgotten how bad it is out there. We've forgotten how it is to wake up in the middle of the night not knowing if your soul's going to go to heaven or hell. We've forgotten what it's like to live in that, that, that storm cloud over our shoulders 24 hours a day. We've forgotten what it's like not to have a holy, heavenly Father to cry out to and to give all our, all our, our dreams, all our problems to, all our cares. We forgot what it's like to live without all these great things that God gives us. We've forgotten about it. We need to remember it. it could, we could be without it. And that's what was hitting my heart this morning coming to church. As I got to thinking, man, I don't deserve to have this goodness in my life. But the Lord still does it. Then they said one to another, we do not well, verse 9. We do not well this day is a day of good tidings. We hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. You know what that's speaking to, Christian? That's speaking to you. If you're, if, you're, if you're enjoying all the good things of God, enjoying all the good things of being a Christian, and you're not telling other people about Jesus Christ, you're doing something bad. Amen. Thank you, Brother Joker. Amen, Brother Kigan. You need to be telling other people about the goodness of Jesus Christ. 
You need to be telling him. Then they said one another, we do not well. It's not a good thing not to tell somebody when there's something good happening in your life. Now, some of you ladies, if they had a sale where they were giving away steak for a dollar a pound, y'all'd be hitting every, y'all'd be on Facebook and Twitter or whatever y'all use, every phone, texting everybody else. They've got steak for a dollar a pound down there. They got bread for a penny a loaf. You'd be telling everybody you know. And that's the right thing to do. <laughs> but we got the better, better than that going on in our lives, and we don't tell a soul. We might invite somebody to church, we might. And we forget to, t- that's not well. We're not doing well, guys. This day is a day of good tidings. Hey, we're living in a day of good tidings. And we will hold, if we hold our peace, if we tarry till the morning light, when's the morning light for a Christian? When Jesus Christ comes back. We're living in darkness right now, but there's going to come a time when that sun's going to come over the horizon. Jesus Christ is going to have his light come back. That's the morning light. That's the second coming. If we hold our peace, if we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. God might have something come upon you if you're not willing to tell about his son, Jesus Christ. Amen, amen, amen. What use are you then? What use are you, Christian, if you're a fruit tree that doesn't bear fruit? What use are you? Not much. Not much at all. My mom passed away at a very early age. And I think some of the reason why she passed away is because she wasn't producing any fruit at all, period. There was nothing left for her to do. If you want to do something for the Lord, do something for the Lord while you have an opportunity because that light's coming. The light's about to come. Jesus Christ is coming back. Now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. Let's go tell everybody. So they came and called unto the port of the city, and they told them, saying, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no man there, neither voice of man, but horses tied, and asses tied, and the tents as they were. And he called the porters, and they told it to the king's house within. And then, and then verse 12, the king's going to rise up, and he's going to send servants out. And the servants are going to go look, and they're going to find out that the lepers weren't lying, that it was true. Verse 15, Skip down to verse 15. And they went after them unto Jordan. Lo, all the way was full of garments and vessels, which the Syrians had cast away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king. And the people went out, look at verse 16. The people went out and spoiled the tents of the Syrians. So a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Just like God said it would happen is exactly how it happened. You can't explain it, but it happened. But the guy doubted. Remember him? Look at the very next verse. And the king appointed the Lord on whose hand he leaned to have the charge of the gate. And the people trod upon him and the gate, and he died, as the man of God had said, who spake when the king came down to him. Wow. So there's that guy that had doubted God. He was in the gate, and when people started finding out about the good news... They just, they come through the gate and they pushed him down and he got trampled to death. He didn't believe God's word. You know what God did there? God said, if you're not willing to believe my word, there's other people that believe it and they're willing to run to get it. Man, there's people that are willing to kill to get the good news of Jesus Christ. When I go into prisons and we preach in the prisons, there's guys in there, they'll do anything if you'll sit down and talk to them about Jesus Christ. They'll do anything. We can't get people to come into this church for 30 minutes. These people will do anything to get somebody to come in there and talk to them about Jesus Christ. The guy that doubts, 
He's laying there dead as everybody's trampling on his dead body to try to get to the good news. It's good out there. And the leper said, you know what? Let's, what, what do I got to lose? Let's get up. What do I got to lose? Let's get up and let's go. If you haven't made that decision for Jesus Christ, what have you got to lose? Not a single thing. You got the whole world to gain with Jesus Christ. You just don't realize it. Hello, this is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church. Are you sick and tired of this world? Are you sick and tired of this life that you're living? Did you know that God has a free gift for you? It's the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Have you ever received this gift? You know a gift can be offered but not received. You can bow your head and ask Jesus right now to save you and give you his free gift of eternal life. Now you might ask, how do I know he'll give me this free gift? Because I did the same thing because I bowed my head knowing I'm a sinner and asked him to save me and he did. And I've never been the same. And this life with Jesus is a thousand times better than anything this world can offer me. Now, we would love to hear from you if you want to contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. Until next time. Casting all your care upon him.